and welcome to another edition of Talking Fußball, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. I'm your host, Nick Wiltang, and this week we're just saying, rest now, weary head, you will get well soon. To all of you who feel a bit down after the results from this weekend's Bundesliga matches started coming in, because let's be honest, there was only one team that was joyous about this weekend's results, and that was Bayern München. And fittingly, I've got Mr. Bayern himself from the blogosphere, Rick Joshua, on our show. Welcome to you, Rick. How are you doing? Hi there, Nick. Yeah, not too bad at all. In fact, feeling a lot better after this end of this weekend than I was uh, in the middle of the week. Let's put it that way. All right. Uh, I'm sure we'll be mentioning the Bacall somewhere down the line in our show, but let's tell you what else we have in store for you. In part one, we'll be taking a closer look at how Bayern managed to extend their lead at the top of the table to four points. How did that happen? And in part two, we'll be looking at what went on elsewhere. So, los geht's! here comes part one of the show and let's just start out with the matches that decided uh, what is going on at the top of the table and let's start out with Wolfsburg against RB Leipzig. Leipzig had the chance to edge past Bayern in the table uh, with a win against VfL Wolfsburg but as we discussed last week RB's biggest problems under Nagelsmann seem to be that they don't seem to be able to beat opponents who are at the top of the table and this time around the story was no different as they took the lead against Wolfsburg through Mikiela, two goals by Wolfsburg through Wout Weghorst and uh, Renato Steffen got the Wolves in front. Second half saw Willy Orban equalizer, but nothing else got past Cone Castiles in the Wolfsburg goal. So, Rick, what is Nagelsmann's team's problem? Why are they always failing against sides that are high up the table? Why are they only taking the points against Mainz, the Mainzers and Augsburgs of the league? I mean, it's it's a strange thing. I mean, this is working out. This is all working out in Bayern's favour. Certainly, in the last couple of weeks, what I've found is even though Bayern were not playing that greatly, we're managing to edge further in front. And this is because everybody else is, just seems to be cancelling each other out, certainly at the top end. I mean, certainly the idea should be that you do away with all the cannon fodder at the lower end of the table. But it is crucial that you take those points against uh, those around you. And they all seem to be neutralizing each other. Like you expect Leipzig to, uh, last week, uh, at least get a point against Dortmund. I mean, Leipzig's defense has been nigh on impenetrable this season. And they get hammered 3 0 at home to Dortmund. And you think, what's going on there? You think Dortmund is suddenly, okay, they're the team perhaps on the rise again. And they blow it against Mainz with a one all draw. Uh, I mean, as a Bayern fan, you're sitting back and looking at this and saying, we can afford even to lose games if everybody else is uh, is doing this. But as for Leipzig, I, I don't know where they've gone in terms of form because they're, they were pretty solid, certainly at home, up until the end of last year. And I don't know where they've gone for 2021. I think they're, they're completely elsewhere, it seems, at the moment. But that's a Wolfsburg, not, not, a, not an easy side to play at the moment. They'll be pretty easy it's sort of strange, though, because Marcel Zabitzer had a big interview in Kicker where he came out and said, well, yes, we won't win the championship and we are good enough to win the championship. And ever since, uh, Leipzig have sort of been a little bit more topsy-turvy than they used to be before before that interview. I mean, is it a case of there being too much pressure? But that cannot be it. I mean, compare Leipzig to Bayern because I mean Leipzig they don't have sort of like players like Effenberg, Matthäus or you know the old guys who go you go around and who are always around the club saying that you know nowadays we used to be proper men you know 10, 20, 30 years ago because Leipzig don't have a history that stretches that far back they don't have legends at the club because you know the players who used to be there 9 years ago I mean who remembers them who remembers Juri Jut playing for Leipzig in the Regionalliga? Nobody. Yeah, I mean, of course, yeah. No, I mean, no one. I mean, it does make it hard for them. But I think when you, when you look at pressure, perhaps uh, you look at not just Leipzig, but also Leverkusen as well. You've, perhaps these teams, that in terms of overall talent, it's much less than, say, the Bayern squad. 
And they're there competing, and say after a dozen games. And when not just uh, the media start to believe that Bayern are starting to buckle a bit, these other sides are starting to look good, they start to believe, yeah, okay, we, we are now up there, we are competing, and perhaps they start believing too much in their hopes and putting too much pressure on themselves. I mean, perhaps this is it. I mean, I'm looking at it at Leipzig, I'm looking at Leverkusen. Both of them have got to this point where they're on the cusp of creating a genuine challenge, perhaps putting their foot on the gas and moving away from us. And at that opportune moment, they blow it. I mean, uh, to, to use, you mentioned Stefan Effenberg, but uh, back in the 90s, he made this then controversial statement, very controversial statement, where it came in to bite him on the backside, actually, when Kaiserslautern came out and uh, won the title. But he made the statement that... Uh, Bayern only win the league, or one of the big reasons Bayern win the Bundesliga is because everybody else is just too stupid to win it. Now, now whether too stupid is the right term to use, I don't know. But you may argue that he has a point when you see uh, what's been going on. What's the perfect opportunity? Bayern are in dreadful form. If the world media are to to be believed, we're on the brink of... uh, mental collapse because we've got no players left our defense is completely rubbish uh Hansi Flick's high line technique has been completely found out etc 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 you would think this is a perfect opportunity for everybody else to put their foot down on it and uh take advantage but we're four points clear I mean <laughs> you have to ask what's going on and are they too stupid to challenge us you have to really ask the question well, as it turns out, there was only one team in, in the top half of the table that got a win, uh, besides Bayern, uh, and that is Union Berlin. They won against uh, Leverkusen on the weekend. That was the Friday night kickoff. That game was designed by goal by Cedric Teuchert in the 88th minute, what followed before the goal. Let's not dwell on that, because it was a dreadful match, if we're being honest. But even though this is a massive result for Union Berlin, and Union Berlin are sort of starting to look like a side that potentially could actually challenge for the Champions League, the headlines that dominated the following day weren't about the match. What had happened, Rick? Well, supposedly there was a, a bit of a fracas bit, uh, between both sets of players. And let's just say the, the claim that uh, racial epithets were uh, fired out in one may argue, in the heat of the moment. And that pretty much... It, so it really ruined what was a, what should have been a good evening for Union Berlin, really. I mean, the, the fact that, that this all came out and uh, it became it took over the headlines. I mean, incredibly unfortunate. Yeah, I mean, the DFB are now looking into Florian Hübner, who's the player who's said to have used a racial slur. Um, Jonathan Tarn went in front of the, the press after the match and said that he actually used the words, quote, Scheiß Afghana, which sort of translates to fucking Afghan, to uh, Nadim Amiri. Um, now, Union Berlin say that this claim isn't true, that Hübner didn't use those words. They don't tell us what words he supposedly used. However, Jonathan Tarr then today, on Sunday, admits that he wasn't present for when those words were uttered. Which is sort of like, this is really, it, it's it's really a lot of hot air and we don't know what has happened. Um, What are the DFB going to make of all of this? I mean, Nick, uh, the, the way I look at this sort of thing is you understand that this sort of thing, naturally, everyone's in complete agreement that this sort of stuff has no place on the football field at all. It has no place in the game at all. But that should not allow the media to kick up a stink unnecessarily. I mean, this follows on from the entire PSG incident and, and the referee. It's a similar sort of thing where if people just wound their necks in a bit and thought, OK, there's... Words that we use perhaps misinterpreted. Now, we don't know what happened here. Uh, Jonathan Tarr he heard something, then he didn't. And uh, from what I saw at the end, when I saw the fracas, so I saw Amiri's finger in uh, the faces of uh, Union Berlin players. And uh, that's what I was seeing. And whether uh, some words came out, uh, the wrong words came out in that particular heat of the moment, I don't know. But let's just hope that the DFB gets to the bottom of it. We, The media pull their finger out of this and... Uh, avoid let's say stirring this pot any further than it has been stirred allow the right people to have the discussion about it and whatever sanctions are then drawn on whatever players let that be let, let that be the case i mean what we don't want is to have a complete media hoo-ha about this it's the last thing 
we really want to. It detracts from Union's performance as well, I think. Yeah, for me, uh, it's, it's, it's it's about that. I, you know, I, I, I want to know what's been said before I make up my mind about how Florian Hubler should Absolutely. be punished. I mean, the, and, and what context it was said in as well. I mean, that that, that is the first thing. Uh, the second thing is that Nadim Amiri has actually told by Leverkusen's uh, homepage that Hoopner went to him straight after the match, apologized. The thing is out of the world for me now, he said. I mean, I'm, I'm it's done and dusted. I'm done with it. Uh, we're on good terms now. So um, given that the players themselves have already sort of cleared the deck and uh, come to agreement that, okay, this was an unfortunate uh, episode. Uh, but, you know, the Hoopner's reaction after the match that he went straight to Amiri and apologized says something about him too, because he obviously knew that he was in the wrong, he apologized straight away, and uh, that should also be taken into account when the DFB reaches their decision, in my mind. So, yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely agree with that, Nick. I think the, the difference is 20 years ago, I think we would have, the whole, all of us would have looked at this as mature adults and said, you know what, this is a Two guys having a go after what was a really controversial end to the game. There was a bit of bitterness about uh, the build-up to Union's goal. Was there a foul? There were arguments. You know, these sorts of things happen in football matches. And probably 20 years ago, there would have been the, the word said, there would have been the apology. Everyone gets on, all right? They walk off the field. We're all right, mate. No problem. We move on. But now the world is what it is, is that someone says something. Before you know it, it's transformed into some the, the pee at the top of the mountain has start rolling down and before we know it there's a huge snowball that's crushing everybody in its wake and the media want their own uh, part of it they want their own nibble of this and uh, it's a story that starts to perpetuate and becomes a story in itself which that's part of the problem of modern, our modern world unfortunately we i, I, I still I, I, do, I do think that hubner deserves to get deserves a punishment if, yeah, if, he, if, he, if he said he something does, if he said he does, something but, that was yeah. racist but um I mean, yeah, let's let's put it into the right context before we make up our minds. Uh, Absolutely. I mean, there's no doubt that it needs to be sanctioned for it. It's more. It needs to be given more than just a, a slap on the wrist for this. But uh, let's not build it up to the point where we could be talking about silly bans, like four or five matches or something like this, which will be completely out of proportion, given that the two guys have had the, had the words, made it all up, and they're getting on and moving on, I think... Uh, yeah, let, let, let's see how it all goes anyway. But what you don't want, sledgehammers to crack nuts. I mean, that's that's the problem that we want to avoid here. Let's learn about the context before we make up our minds, eh? Turning a little bit to the footballing footballing matters on the pitch, obviously Union Berlin, probably not the sort of challenger, you know, you would imagine for Bayern to be, to be sticking around for the, for the long run, given, given the team's... <laughs> given their roster. By Leverkusen, on the other hand side, we were sort of pondering the likelihood of them maybe being an outside proposition for for the run-in to the title because they were actually before they played against Bayern they were sort of topping the table and all that now they lost to Bayern 2-1 in really unfortunate fashion and ever since they've only taken one point a 1-1 draw against Werder Bremen I mean what's what's wrong with Bayer Leverkusen these days what has happened in the last four matches to them for, for me it's Bayer Leverkusen being Bayer Leverkusen <laughs> I mean, every time someone bigs up by Leverkusen, they always oblige us. They 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 always uh, turn everything back on back in on its head. And uh, I mean, all goes to pot for them. I I've, I have no idea. In, in in a way, I mean, I look at it and uh, many years as a as a Bayern fan, I find it's just one more funny chapter to the to the Leverkusen. That uh, the moment they project themselves as possible challengers, you see them fall away. Again. I, di I didn't honestly think that the their falling away would be as dramatic as it has been, to be honest. I'd hope that we would beat them in that last game before the break. But I did honestly believe that they would get over that and kick on and still be there or thereabouts at this point. I didn't think that be, they'd be that far off us, given that they were potentially, they could have been, I can't remember if my calculations are correct, but if they'd beaten us in that last game, they would have been how many points? I think four or five points in front if they'd beaten us. I think they were two points ahead of us, or a point or two points ahead of us. They would have been would have been four points ahead. Yeah, I mean they were on twenty eight points, and uh, Bayern were obviously on twenty seven going into that match, and uh, obviously three points for Leverkusen would have meant four points ahead for uh, into the winter. But 
and we've been we were we were lucky. We were lucky in that game. We've been lucky in a number of games. We were you could say that we dominated today, for example, but again we were lucky. But we'll get on to that one obviously. Yes. Before we do get on to um to what well, it's basically the Zerd of, of that segment for you, the the Bayern match. Uh, let's let's turn to the team that is as predictable as someone who's been diagnosed with the ICD ten code F sixty point three by their shrink. If you don't get that, look it up on Google. Let's turn to Dortmund, who got seemingly off to a flying start against Mainz, but as their early goal was ruled out for offside by their video assistant referee, things didn't get better and uh, you know Dortmund sort of tried and tried and tried Mainz defended well in the end Mainz took the lead through a stunning goal by a former HSV and Werder player Levin Estonali Dortmund obviously got a goal back through Thomas Monnier but in the end it's only a 1-1 draw now Mainz have been disastrous all season but why does this keep happening a 1-1 draw against Mainz 2-1 loss against Cologne what is going on with Dortmund? Why are they always falling at the hurdles that seem to be the least problematic on paper? Now, now there's an interesting couple of theories here. Now, do you remember what, when right at the beginning, at the top of the show, you mentioned about teams not winning against those immediate rivals around them? And that could be levelled at Leipzig. In Dortmund's case, it seems to be the other way around. I mean, they, they seem to pull out better performances. You, like, you look at the Leipzig game last week against the teams around them, Whereas the so-called cannon fodder they're blowing out on now. I did an analysis about five, six years ago about Bayern when we just picked uh, Wolfsburg, I think, to the title. In the teams around us, the six, the six teams around us, I think we got in the region of less than 50% of the points against those teams. But I guess the cannon fodder, we blew them away. Something in the region of 22 wins. I mean, 22 wins out of 24, I think. I can't remember the exact stats, but we blew the cannon fodder away. And you look at results like this, like Dortmund's uh, game against Mainz. If you add up all of these that Dortmund have had against these lesser teams, teams in the relegation zone or there or thereabouts, like Mainz, Köln, et cetera, et cetera, you add them all up, they'd be challenging us at the top. Yeah, I mean, they've lost two points. I, mean, I have no idea. You could say Marco Reus uh, fluffing that penalty with 14 minutes left was a major impact on this no one would have been talking about it in such dramatic terms if he put it away but uh yeah and this is and with three points for a win you could argue that a draw is as bad as a defeat yeah almost um but i mean to speaking to your point i mean let's let's just talk about the three matches they've uh, where they've sort of fluffed it against lesser opposition they lost against augsburg that should have been three points they lost against cologne that should have been three points they got a draw against mines that should have been three points if they'd actually done what was expected of them in all three matches, they'd actually be leading Bayern at the top of the table by one point by now. There you go. Absolutely. <laughs> there you go, exactly. And uh, we're not even talking middle of the... T- okay, you can say Augsburg are always a tough team to play. So let's just rule them out for a moment. Let's just look at the Cologne, Cologne and uh, Mainz games. These are games that they definitely should be winning with uh, both blindfolded and with both feet tied together. They, they, they should be they should be winning these games and uh, yeah you, you you look at all the maths of it all I'm sure come the end of the season Dortmund will be looking at it and saying why did we not have our minds in the right place for these games are, are they expecting to win either sometimes you know when a big team plays one of these minor teams they go out with a kind of self-entitled kind of attitude they go out there as if the three points has been already won i say Bayern have been quite guilty of this season a number of times you go out they think we've got three points in the bag here and by the time the final whistle goes and uh, you've dropped two points maybe you've dropped all three you're thinking what on earth happened here and you're, you're looking at analysis of the ga- analysis of the game you're thinking what what is this and um, i'm sure dortmund have gone over this time and again this season i mean prior to of course uh father being uh, sacked of course and, and now with a new coach, it's hasn't really changed the formula, has it? No, I mean um, seven points off Bayern München now. Um, are they out of the title race? You, in a regular year, you say yes, but uh, all it takes is for the little bit of luck Bayern München have been having just to edge away against us, and Dortmund just to pick up their form again. That's all it takes, and that seven points could be easily swallowed up. At this point, we haven't even reached the halfway point yet, so I'm not going to count any count any chickens quite yet 
Uh, I'm not someone who does that sort of thing. I wait till there's a match to go and we're four points clear. Then I say we've won the title. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then let's turn to your boys. Then uh, they had a tough match against SC Freiburg. Freiburg obviously uh, had won their five last matches going into the match. And if you thought it was going to be an easy affair once Robert Lewandowski knocked in that opener in the seventh minute, which, by the way, was his 21st goal of the season, uh, you'd be mistaken, wouldn't you? SC Freiburg really came out and uh, they made life difficult for Bayern for large parts of the match, didn't they? Yeah, um, they did. I, I went into this game, obviously playing at home, you're expecting to get the three points. But Freiburg's excellent record coming into it, and they are a tough team to be. I mean, they're, well, they've proved to be, and... They've proved to, proven to be for Bayern a bit of a bogey team on occasion when, when playing them. They, they always tend to pull out all the stops and uh, really ramp up their game against us. And we had a really great start back. Arguably, there's a case for a penalty early on before Lewandowski scored the opener, which puts him uh, pound for camp, actually, on, quote, on quotient terms, ahead of Gerd Müller at the moment at this point of the season. So he's well on course to top that, that Gerd Müller's... Uh, record which has lasted nigh on 40 years but you're thinking yeah at that point we should press on but if you're a Bayern fan and you're following us very closely that old formula of once we take the lead we just crack on and completely crush the opposition into submission hasn't really been on the book since I'd say October I think since we beat Frankfurt 5-0 why has that been I don't know I mean whether whether it's a the argument is is that uh, other teams have sussed us. They've sussed our, our defensive line, the high line. They're taking advantage of it. You see the, the amount of goals we've conceded. We've conceded more goals than Bielefeld this season. And uh, look where they are. We've conceded, I think, 25 goals. Bielefeld's conceded 24. And uh, defensively, we're really problematic. Up front, we're not really clicking. A number of guys last, guys last season, I'd say, Nick, there are two things. One, we lost some solid kind of team players that uh, added a lot last season. Perisic, Coutinho, who came on a great impact players. We're missing them. And we're also missing that bite that we had up front. Uh, Gnabry is not half the player he was last season, completely gone off the boil. And I don't know whether it's because of injury. Davis has gone off the boil a bit as well. Not the spark that he had last season. Alaba, I don't know where his brain, his brain is at the moment, whether he's coming, where he's going. He's not 100% either this season. Niklas Zula, I mean, not the solid rock we're expecting. Boateng had a revival last season, doesn't seem to be extending to this season. Pavard, I mean, I don't know where the player who was so great for France and had a really great first season has gone either. I mean, and then everyone is quick to blame the coach for his tactics. Uh, signings that we had weren't that great. Uh, I mean, uh, Supermoting hasn't really played many games. Bunasar has been an absolute disaster. And that said, even with all of this, we're still four points clear. But, uh, I mean, that's the laughable thing about it. I really hope the Kiel defeat in midweek would have been the kickstart to say, you know what, let's pull our finger out and let's get going here. But Freiburg, Freiburg really put us under the cosh for a lot of the first half without creating too many chances. And in the second half, we should have put the game away. We should have really put the game away. Then they equalise out of nothing after, out of an ex-Bayern guy, Niels Peterson. Who hit the bar later on as well, didn't he? The bar later on, he could have got two all draw out of it. Uh, Miller puts us back in front again. I mean, always reliable, uh, Thomas Miller. But I think the one guy who's also disappointed is uh, Leroy Zane as well. I mean, he's shown sparks. He came on for Gnabry. Didn't really add much. Okay, he provided the assist for Muller in the end. More, I think, more fortuitous than anything else. But uh, I think that's why we're lacking. Whether it's tiredness, complacency, I don't know. But uh, we're not alone in that respect. You look at the rest of the European leagues. You look at Liverpool. You look at the likes of Real Madrid. You look at the likes of Barcelona, Juve. Where all all of these big teams are having issues at the moment. So. I mean, Bayern is doing a lot better than those teams, if you compare them 
on on a european scale and uh, actually quite interestingly um hansi flick said after the cup match that uh, bayern lost and and penalties uh, against second division side the holstein kiel first time they've lost to sign outside the bundesliga and the cup since i think 2004 quite an astonishing uh, midweek result for them finn bartels getting a goal and putting the decisive penalty away uh, but Han- to to get back to what hansi flick said he said I expected us to have a slump in form much earlier than we did. I mean, despite winning against Freiburg, should Bayern fans still be concerned? Or should they think, well, okay, we're having our slump now, but look at us. We are four points clear. We are going to be all right. Yeah, I'd I'd like to look at it in those terms. But uh, if you're going to talk about the slump, the slump has lasted you could argue, even though we've managed to eke out results since the end of October, beginning of November. So we're talking close to, uh, we're almost approaching the end of January now. So you could say three months, a three-month slump. So, and what's going to make it worse as well, we've got this uh, this silly uh, FIFA World Tournament coming up as well, which is going to add more to the, the players. But I, I don't mind the idea of picking up another trophy. I mean, I, I really don't. But the idea of travelling overseas, given the context of where everything is, plus the number of games we're having to play, it's something... I've already, I think, one of the, our opponents, the, the New Zealand team, have uh, pulled out. I think, um, why don't we just can this nonsense? At, at least for this year and this time around. Because what we don't want now is another couple of games, maybe more, two, three games, which are going to really clog up the schedule. And this isn't helping. And But like I said, in, in fairness, it's no excuse. I mean, the likes of Dortmund... They've accused them. They've had to play European games as well. They've had to play cup games as well. They didn't come off the back of a long season like we did last season, but you would have hoped that I mean, that was back in August. I mean, they probably would have uh, would have murdered to be able to play in the Champions League final, any of those sides. Um, I mean, Harvey Leipzig obviously went close. They went out in the semifinals to Paris Saint-Germain. But um, I don't know if you're a big believer of the XG, uh, I mean, the expected goals. And you have, like, the XG table, which, you know, give you ex- give you the expected points and such. I mean, I'm, I'm just looking at one now. And Bayern München have actually scored 14 goals more than their chance per production should have given them and they've gotten seven points more than the chance production should have given them i mean Bayern have i mean that really speaks to to what you're saying that the slump has been going on for some time because whilst the performance on the pitch ne- necessarily haven't been great Bayern have been ruthlessly effective haven't they yeah i mean whether it's uh simply by going back onto what's called what you could argue some kind of muscle memory to win these games. It's uh, where either, either way, we're seeing these games through. Like you look at, say, Dortmund blew it against Mainz. We wouldn't do that if we're in that same situation right now. You look at this Freiburg game, you could say that once Freiburg equalised, there was always a threat that, yeah, they could go on and win this game. But uh, the fact that uh, we were able then to just notch up that little bit that was required and eke out the result, this is the difference. This is the difference, I think, between where we're standing right now where the likes of Dortmund, Leipzig, Leverkusen, or where where these where our nearest uh, opponents are. And if this is a slump, I'll take it. All right, let that be the last words for part one of the show. We'll be back and take a closer look at what the rest of the league have done this weekend. For part two, das Topspiel on Saturday was obviously VfB Stuttgart against Borussia Mönchengladbach. And it was a match that truly deserved the label as Topspiel. However, that 2-2 draw meant that Gladbach are not going anywhere in this quest to get back to the Champions League. Whilst VfB can thank their lucky stars that VAR can make mistakes too. Rick, tell us what happened there towards the end of the match because it was truly one of the silliest moments that VAR has given us so far, wasn't it? Well, to be honest, I actually didn't see the whole the whole game. Uh, I only saw the a few potted highlights and reviews of it. I know there was a huge VAR controversy and Stuttgart scored deep, deep, deep into injury time. And uh, I mean, uh, he seems to be the man for Stuttgart at the moment. 
is really pulling out these uh, crucial goals when it matters. And Gladbach, I mean, it seems to be a series for them that they're conceding late goals all the time. Sadly, they didn't do it last uh, when we when we played them when when Bayern didn't concede the last goal. I was really hoping that stick with that series, but they seem to be conceding dramatic last goals. You look at what's happening in the Champions League to them. Couple of games in the Bundesliga in the latest uh, episode uh, with this one. I say Stuttgart probably deserved that. They deserved a point. I think both teams, uh, it, as you say, it was a top spiel. I think it was a, it was a great. Uh, from what I'd read, I didn't actually see the game as as I said, but so from what I'd read, it's one shame that I missed it. Yeah, I mean, but the, the controversy I wanted to get you talking about was the fact that um, Benz Barbini was actually, uh, you know, he uh, was sort of pushed by Valdemar Anton, and he then hugged, a, almost hugged a Stuttgart player and, and Bibiana Steinhaus, who was the VR assistant, she interfered then and said, okay, Felix Brisch, you have to take a look at what Ben Zbaini is doing. Obviously, she didn't show him the pictures of what went before because Felix Brisch on the pitch said that, okay, there's sort of two, you know, six of these and half a dozen of, of the other, so it's it's nothing to, to be too concerned about. Let's just play resume when he saw those pictures that were kind of selective and didn't show the entire picture he went for the penalty and after having seen the entire review once again after the match he said well i probably shouldn't have given the penalty which is uh, as, as gladbach goes it, it must be a, a massive kick in in <laughs> a massive kick in the teeth for them because obviously uh, losing the two points in such a fashion not really nice is it no I mean, uh, as I say, I didn't see it, so I, I can't really give an, an, an honest uh, take on it. But uh, it really de depends on where you go with the whole VAR thing. And I think there are some instances where every single piece of a play, the complete build-up is analysed from uh, point to point. Others where you jump in halfway through and the context may be lost. And there are others where you may argue on another day a decision would be given one way and you look at it on the match that you're watching right in front of you and you're thinking, why on earth is that not being given? For example, I'm going to bring up the Bayern Freiburg game again today. There seemed to be a very obvious handball before uh, a minute or so before Lewandowski scores. And I'm wondering, why is that not a penalty? I mean, that's, uh, you could argue, was he trying to obviously obstruct the, the individual, obstruct the opponent? It doesn't, doesn't matter. It was not just one, but I think it's two hands on the ball. And uh, you look at that and say, well, what's VAR doing here? On the other hand, you think, is it doing too much? Is it not doing enough? And what, what it's doing is making, I think, the referees and the video assessment referees the stars of this show. And it's taking it a lot of the focus away from what's happening actually out. I mean, what I think what this is a perfect example of is the fact that mistakes can be moved from the pitch to the basement in Cologne. And uh, mistakes are always going to be made and they are going to remain part of refereeing because, I mean, what we're being, being sold by the DFB, the, who are the unit, to, who are the federation in Germany, they, they are responsible for the education and uh, the refereeing of Bundesliga matches. They told us that this would get rid of all mistakes by referees and that we would have, you know, certain things like an unjust penalty given that would be a thing of the past. Well, if the mistake isn't too egregious enough, the the penalty stands. So that still happens. If the mistake isn't obvious enough and a uh, penalty should have been given, penalty is not going to be given. I think the problem, I mean, the problem is, Nick, is where you have grey areas. And I think uh, when when I looked at VAR, I mean, the, the, the first time the concept of VAR was discussed and it came in, I was happy to see it come in because that was coming straight off for me as a Bayern fan, straight off the back of that defeat against uh, Real Madrid, where you had two very obvious Ronaldo goals that were clearly offside uh, allowed. And I'm thinking this is the sort of very obvious thing that a ref or a linesman may make a mistake and uh, miss out on. That's what VAR should correct. I wasn't expecting this almost millimetre by millimetre is my nose bigger than your nose kind of thing when... Uh, trying to judge uh, whether someone's offside or not. It should be a marginal thing. I mean, if, if someone say, I mean, this is, I'm sure this has been discussed many times over and we're talking about VAR, but if there's a player, say, one is more or less overlapping the other in a replay 
and you can draw no more than, say, half a meter either side, you should say whatever decision goes with uh, the linesman, if they, if they raise their flag, it, they just stick with it. Um, but then even that will create more controversy as well. It's like, I don't know how much uh, any of our viewers will know that they follow cricket, but there's a similar kind of rule that happens there with an, what's called like an LBW, where it's deemed that the ball's going to hit the stump. So if the umpire first makes a decision and gives the batsman out, and it's ruled that the ball may be hitting half of the stumps, the decision is deemed as umpire's call. So if the ball is hitting the stumps, if you ever watch the game of cricket, you'll know that 99.99% of the time, it will result in the bales falling off and it will be out. But if the umpire decides to say not out, and half of the ball is hitting the wickets, it's deemed as umpire's call. Therefore, it's deemed not out. And likewise, the other way around. So we could have a similar kind of situation in football where if we're running with the linesman's decision, then we look at the replay and we say, he's actually half a foot offside. We may apply the same principle and say, let that be the linesman's call. It's a close one. The linesman made a genuine mistake. It was what might have happened in the pre-VAR world. We let that one go. But then there'll be some people who won't be happy with that. I think I'd be happy to run with that because that's clarifying. It's killing the obvious errors. It's killing the obvious errors. To me, something if someone's half of a millimetre in front of a defender. I'm sorry. I mean, back in the day, if that happened, you could say, yeah, okay, a referee made a mistake. You could say he's level. They are level and you let it go. But now when they're micromanaging the, the whole thing, it's it becomes a nonsense. It, it used to be said that uh, when in doubt, uh, always go in favour of the attacking team because football should be an attacking sport that produces a lot of goals. Yeah, absolutely. And it should be done that way. If, it, if the players are more or less level, or say could draw a foot either side of them, let it go. I mean, let it, let it run with the linesman. If the linesman raises the flag, goal scored, and you see that he's like a, a foot offside, you let it go because it's within that grey area. Likewise, if it allows the goal and he's taken onside, a foot behind, stick with the lines person's decision. That would be my All right, then. I, I completely agree. Let's just talk about one more match before we get to Rescued from Oblivion. And that match is going to be Frankfurt against Schalke. Because last week we talked quite a bit about Schalke and their marvellous return to form. Uh, obviously, they won 4-0 against Hoffenheim. Matthew Hoppy, the young American Jesus-loving Californian kid, he scored three goals. And he did well against uh, Frankfurt as well, getting on the score sheet once again. But hey, he and his team were outdone by one man, and that man's name is Luka Jovic. The Serb returned to Eintracht Frankfurt, where he started out as a boy and grew to become a man. And these days, um, he seems to be like the piece of the jigsaw puzzle that was missing from Adi Hütter's, you know, fulfillment of that puzzle. He scored two goals, Luka Jovic. What a return for him, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, you, you argue... Why on earth did he leave? I mean, picked up exactly where he left off. 18 months, however long it was at Real Madrid, completely forgotten. I mean, it's, it's the same Jovic who normally, when this happens, we've seen it by with Diego Costa. I mean, not the great, wasn't the great first time round, but even less so second time round. You ex sometimes you expect that if a player comes round on a second time, they're usually not as great. But Jovic has picked up pretty much where he left off. Where he, went, where he went to Real Madrid, completely turned that game around. And you have to feel a little bit sorry for Schalke because you think uh, they've turned around the corner, they've avoided the worst record in the Bundesliga run and in emphatic style by hammering Hoffenheim last week. And you think, OK, there's a chance at one all. Jovic comes on, turns the game on its head. So that first goal was absolutely fantastic. He scored, actually. What a cracker that was. And then... Uh, and he created the, his second and Frankfurt's third. That was a really enjoyable game to watch, I think, this evening. I, I do have a Schalke from time to time, but there's, there's a point where you think, okay, you start to feel slightly sorry for them. And this was one of those. You thought they, you might, they might have got away with a point and edged level to get level with Mainz at the bottom. But, uh, yeah, I mean, in the end, fair result, I think. Frankfurt deserved to, get, to win that in the end. You know, staying staying with Frankfurt, how, how how important do you think Jovic's return to the club is? Is is that sort of the game changer that gets them from mid table to maybe a European finish? Possibly. I think what we need to do is give it a few more weeks. I think 
I mean, first game back, great, fantastic. I think the idea should be is that they kick on from there. And if they do, and uh, Jovic uh, keeps his eye in, and uh, he uh, turns out to be as prolific in this game in the next few that follow, I can't see any reason why they can't certainly secure a solid top-half performance. Maybe even a challenge for one of the Europa League places. They've certainly got a decent enough squad, so certainly of decent enough depth to do that. They, as you say, they just needed that spark, and maybe uh, Jovic's return has done that for them. Again, you can't read too much into it. It is Schalke. <laughs> All right, then. Well, talking about teams that are kind of down in the dump, let's take a short break, and afterwards we'll be back with Rescued from Oblivion with Reese Tickwell. So here we are, back on the podcast with Rescued from Oblivion, and joining us once again to rescue a match from Oblivion is Reese Tickwell. Welcome back to the show, Reese. Hi, uh, Nick. Nice to finally chat to you. Well, what match have you lined up for us today? Yeah, so I was having a look at the Verda match against Augsburg uh, this weekend, which was um, somewhat of a tame contest until that's seen destined to be ending 0-0 until obviously the captain, Jerry Salas, uh, gave the host the lead about six minutes from time with a, a clever finish, actually, at the back post. And then, interestingly, it's, they doubled their lead just a few minutes later, rounded off by a 21-year-old German in Felix Agu. So it's interesting to see him coming onto the scene. Yeah, I mean, he played for one of the key players in Werder's lineup because, obviously, he replaced Ludwig Augustinsson, and Ludwig Augustinsson is actually the man who takes all of Werder's set pieces uh, this season. Werder have actually scored roughly, or going into this match, Werder had scored roughly half of their goals from set pieces. So how did Agu do in replacing Ludwig Augustinsson? Because given his importance to the team... Given all his assists, that was truly a massive job for for such a young player, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I, I think he fared pretty well, actually, and uh, a couple of different organisations put him in as the man of the match for the game. I mean, so as you rightly pointed out, he arrived on a free from Osnabrück um, after signing a pre-contract with, with Werder back in January. Uh, he only made his debut in November when he came off the bench against Bayern, and, and before this game, he had sort of only played a hand for the minutes since i think it'll be interesting to see how he develops as a player and and whether he gets a chance to to prove himself because as you rightly pointed out augustinson is so pivotal to the verder team i think for for as long as he's um fit and able to play it's going to be very difficult for him to break into the team yeah but the thing about Agu and i think one of the reasons why why verder have brought him in is, is the fact that he actually thrives on either side so he can replace potentially Gebre Selassie as well if he if they want to go down that route but um i think he himself is sort of like the type of player verder needs to find and verder needs to get into that side given the financial problems and and given you know the fact that they don't have any money on on in their bank accounts to to get any signings on board right now um he was as you point out a free transfer and um he did quite well are there any other standout performances for Werder Bremen during those 90 minutes that uh, most people would probably rather forget if they were neutrals? <laughs> I think um, Jebri Salas's performance was was pretty good, actually. Um, and I think he's been a wonderful servant to the club throughout his time. And I think he's led he's, he's led by example, particularly in that game. And I think in the in the important games, um, you need players like that to show through. And Verder have had a number of those important games, particularly in the past few seasons, um, when they need to shine through. And there's players like that who come through with the goods. Yeah, indeed. I mean, Gabriel Selassie has um, scored at least one goal each year he's, he's played for Verder. So he's been at the club for nine years and at least gotten one goal each 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 of the last nine seasons, which is uh, quite tremendous. Uh, no wonder that Florian Kofold said today in, in today's Visa career that he wouldn't mind Gebre Selassie sticking around for one more year. <laughs> so um, if that is going to happen, we'll have to wait and see. Now, looking at the table, Werder are now on 18 points. Going into that match, they were obviously on 15 points. They were four points away from the relegation playoff. 
and seven points away from a direct relegation place. Now, looking at the table tonight, after all matches have finished, Werder are six points away from the relegation playoff and 11 points away from a direct relegation place. So this is quite a massive win for Werder Bremen, this, isn't it? Absolutely. I think it's a huge win for Bremen and it's one that takes the pressure off for Kofeld. Um and it's given them some breathing space, as you mentioned, because they're now six points ahead of, of Colm, um, who are obviously in the in the last in the uh, relegation place. And Kofeld uh, always seems to find a way um, when things get desperate. I mean, it's only their second win since October in the time since they beat Bielefeld. And they've only beat Mainz in that time. So to actually beat a team, they've also beaten Schalke as well, of course, but to actually beat a team that's sort of above them, or not one that's a, a direct relegation candidate is always a bonus. But I think they've been struggling. I think one of the reasons why they have been struggling this, this season is because they've been struggling for goals up front. I think they're really missing uh, Fulkrug, who's obviously out injured. If you look at between Sargent, Osako and Selka, they've only scored three goals between them, and, and then Fulkrug has obviously scored four. But he's scored more goals than the three of them combined. And the team itself has only scored 19 goals in the league this season. Mm. Well, uh, bad news for Werder Bremen is that Fulkrug obviously is out injured until the end of February, most likely, which means that he's going to lose to match another four, five, or six matches. Uh, meaning that uh, Werder's attacking display is going to be a little bit more predictable for, for their opponents going forward. Um, now, turning to FC Augsburg, they haven't really fared all this well over the last few weeks at all, haven't they? Do, do you understand why Rafael Ginkiewicz, the goalkeeper, was quite upset after after the match had finished? Yeah, absolutely. I can see why he's upset because apart from that win they got at Köln um, a few weeks back, they were in some bad form themselves. And it's, it's surprising to see as well because they started so well. And obviously since they beat Bielefeld back in December, they've been on an awful run of form. Um, and things are not getting any easier for them either. If you look at their next six games, obviously playing Bayern, Union, who are in fantastic form, Dortmund, okay, perhaps not, but Dortmund is still Dortmund, Wolfsburg, Leipzig and, and Leverkusen before things sort of start to, to get slightly easier when they play Mainz at least. But I mean, those six games, if they don't take any points from those or very few points, then it's going to start to to heap a great deal of pressure on Herlich. Yeah, do you think they could potentially get into the relegation scramble? Uh, I mean, we didn't expect them to do that only two or three weeks ago. I think they could. I think they could be dragged in. I don't think they are bad enough to go down. Should we say? Uh, I think there are definitely two teams or three, depending on obviously if that team survives. I think there are definitely three teams that are worse than them in the division. But I think it's still worrying and and it, they could get sucked into it. I think it's, today it was interesting to see that they went for Fimogasen up front and not Niederlechner. Right? Because obviously neither of them in the best of form, none of them have scored a single goal this season in the Bundesliga. And Gregoric has also only scored one himself. I think that's where the problem lies. They've only, I think they've only scored 17 league goals in 16 games. And that, that really is worrying. Indeed, I mean Alfred von Bogusen. He certainly didn't make uh, any. He didn't make the Augsburg fans happy with his performance against Werder Bremen. But he at least made Werder Bremen's announcer in the stadium stadium announcer made Arndt Seigler very happy as he gave him a signed jersey. As he read in a, an interview with Arndt Seigler in in the Augsburg Allgemeine Zeitung, local paper there, that Arndt Seigler actually was a fan of his. So uh, at least one uh, man went home happy with uh, what Finn Bogerson had done, but um, it wasn't his coach and it wasn't the Augsburg fans, to, to say it mildly. Uh, Reese, thank you so much for coming back on to rescue this match from Oblivion. Thank you very much. See you soon. All right, interesting chat there with Reese about Werder uh, against Augsburg. Let's just quickly finish off by mentioning that there were two goalless draws in the Bundesliga. First, there was FC against Hertha, and the other one was TSG Hoffenheim against TSG Arminia Bielefeld. Uh, both of these, all of these four teams aren't really going any places. And um, honestly, let's not mention any of what was going on in those matches because. Um, you know, with an XG that wasn't higher than 0.66 for any of those sides. Let's just say, hopefully, they give us something more to talk about in terms of that attacking display 
next week. Or do you have anything to add when it comes to these matches, Rick? I mean, not really. I, I didn't see much of them. I'm, I'm, to be honest with you, I'm slightly disappointed in Hoffenheim. Given, given after when they hammered us earlier in the season, I was thinking that was really going to give a chance for them to uh, kick on. They've been really disappointing. And I think uh, drawing, uh, having a goal to draw at home to Bielefeld, who was struggling slightly, I mean, that's pretty much has been part of the course for Hoffenheim in the last week. And of course, last week's hammering at Schalke. So I'm really disappointed with them. And uh, Cologne versus Hertha, and as you say, it's two teams. Well, Hertha nat- clearly are not, I don't think they're going anywhere. I don't think they're bad enough to go down. And they're not good enough to challenge uh, higher up. So they're going to probably finish mid-table. Cologne, I think they are going places. Sadly, it's going to be downwards, I think. But uh, other than that, uh, I don't know about Bielefeld myself. Uh, they might be able to edge out and survive. But uh, let's see how that all goes. I mean, my one, one, one of my big debates about who's going down is between Bielefeld and Bremen. But Bremen seems to be uh, seems to have turned it around. But I'm not saying that deliberately because it's Munich, but uh, <laughs> but it was between Bielefeld and Bremen for that uh, potentially that playoff spot because I do think uh, I think Cologne are going to end up down there. I think Mainz will edge out of it. I, I think Schalke are going down. I think Schalke and Cologne are going down. And it was for me between Bielefeld and Bremen for that playoff spot. But uh, I don't know. That that may be all turned around. Let's see how things go around there. But those four teams, two uninspiring games. And uh, as I say, really disappointed uh, with Hoffenheim. Expected a whole lot more from them, really. I think I think match day, match day uh, 20, Bielefeld against Werder is going to be telling in that regard. Yeah, I, I think so. I think Bielefeld are more than capable of pulling out a result from that one. They're that kind of team. They, they haven't been particularly prolific up front, but they're not that bad. As I mentioned to you earlier in the piece, that they've actually conceded fewer goals than Bayern have. So for a team that's uh, right down there towards the basement of the table, they're not doing too badly at the back. Because they just can't seem to score goals, it, it seems. And I think maybe uh, Werder might be the potential turnaround for them. Again, as you say, that's a real six-pointer. That is a real six-pointer at the, the sharp end of that, that kind of battle near that relegation spot, that playoff spot. That's all for this edition of Talking Football, which was produced, as always, by Aiden Rantoul. Great to have you on the podcast, Rick. Where can people follow you on Twitter? Well, they can follow me at Chef on Twitter, and they can find out a lot more about me. I'm not just about Bayern München, also the German national team as well. Excellent. You can follow me on Twitter at Norm Musings. Don't forget to listen to Talking Foosball's historic Match Day Moment series on our Patreon page, where you can listen to both Rick and I talk about, you know, historic Bayern moments, national team stuff. There's an awful lot for everybody. Uh, so we hope you that, that you'll consider supporting our Patreon page. If you want to hit us up collectively, Matt and the rest of the gang as well, you can talk to us at Talking Foosball on Twitter. Please do subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your pods and tell a friend about us. Until the next time, auf Wiedersehen 